I used to babysit this little girl, and her name was Faith, and she was probably about five or six, and one day she asked me, Passion, the Bible says come as you are. Why don't people go to church naked? It's cliche for people in the church to say, come as you are, but are we really ready for that? Can the church handle the bipolar, the schizophrenic, the depressed, and the suicidal among us? The church is supposed to be a place where we are all welcome as we are, whatever our issue may be. Today on the No Worries Podcast, Pash and I talk about how the church can better prepare to minister to those with mental illness. We love to put forth that people can come and and just show up and we'll be able to help them deal with whatever they're going through. But the question is, is the church really equipped? And what does come as you are really, really mean? Is the church accepting enough to deal with the whole spectrum of mental illnesses and mental challenges? What we want to talk about today is what does it look like? And so it makes me think about a story in the Bible where the disciples were arguing with a group of scholars. And the thing that they were arguing over was a boy who had been, quote unquote, possessed. And so the father brings the boy to the disciples. He had heard about Jesus. He'd heard about all the great things that Jesus had done. And he brought the boy for this unclean spirit and to be cast out of him. And and the disciples couldn't do it. And of course, when the disciples couldn't do it, the Pharisees and the scholars were like, aha, see, and they were debating on what kind of sin caused the boy to be that way. And they had distanced themselves from the boy because they said that he thrashed about. So then Jesus comes down. And the first thing that he asked these church members, these leaders in the church, if you will, is he asked them, why are you arguing? And I think when I see that When I see the setting visually, I see over on one side, two groups of saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled people arguing about what's wrong with this boy. In our case these days, what's wrong with the world? Mm -hmm. Yet the boy is hurting and he is he is struggling with what's going on with him. And when I look deep into the scriptures, you find that the boy wasn't exactly possessed by a demon he actually had a disorder where he would kind of talk to himself. He was vexed. He, it says he was extremely stressed. And so that's really what was happening. But for the arguing over who's the most sinful or what sin is wrong, they missed the hurting. And I think that's kind of what the church is doing. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways we are constantly arguing about how to be holy And we're not prepared for the people that we're supposed to help. And so what would it take, in your opinion, Pastor, what would it take for the church to be equipped to handle? And and just think about, again, think about the spectrum of mental illness that there are. Is it even possible in our quiet, orderly church services and church environments? What do you think? Um, I think that that is a loaded question, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it really has to start internally. I think that's 
really the key in helping other people Mm -hmm. is really looking in within yourself. And so if we are asking people to come to church as they are, like, are we doing that? And then it's also looking at any fears or any or any judgments you have against certain people right you know like because really anybody should be able to come into a church and if not have not necessarily have their problem solved but Mm -hmm. to have some sort of positive connection or some sort of acceptance yeah to be counted to be seen yeah like to just be seen and so i think that's the thing and i think specifically when we're talking about mental illness I think we just have to discuss that balance. Like, I think anybody should be able to come into the church, and I think that that starts with having people that are comfortable with who they are, that are comfortable with seeing the humanity in people before they see the judgment, before they see ticks or somebody talking to themselves or somebody that doesn't smell good. Like, they see the humanity in people. Yeah, I, I think that's a challenge because when we see those things like the ticks or somebody talking to themselves, um, Unfortunately, we think there's something wrong with them and there's something we think it's spiritual, right? Because um, that's how we read our Bibles, that if somebody doesn't act as everybody else, there must be something wrong with them. And the question is, what does that environment look like, right? Do we have to have trained professionals around like um, church has security in the case that something goes wrong? Should we have trained professionals around? What is the church missing? Yeah, I think trained professionals would be a good thing to have. I think if you have security, if you have someone that is in charge of cleaning the church, if you have someone that's in charge of handling any collections or whatever, then there should be someone that could be there outside of the pastor that could help someone that needs more help than they right. could get right now in the church. Should a, should a pastor have a mental health background? Do you think that'd be beneficial or is that just, is that not his role or? I think it would be beneficial, but I don't think it's necessary if that's not what the pastor wants. To okay. Do. Like, okay. I don't think if, I think working in mental health is something that you have to have an interest and passion in. Mm-hmm. And I think that if that is not the case, for some pastors, it may not be, then that's probably not the best thing. I do think there's. it's good to have some basics, like to understand some basics, right. but to have like a degree or a certification or anything like that, I don't know if it's necessary, if that's not on your heart to do that. One of the things I often wonder and worry about, like I wouldn't want my uh, appliance repair person fixing my car. Right. And so people are trained in certain things. Yeah. And... I would hurt. I would worry about them doing more harm than help. Yeah. And so I guess the church should employ mm-hmm. trained professionals. Yeah. But is there going to be a conflict of interest? So let me ask you this: in your mental health journey and in your processes and habits, mm-hmm. what percentage of it is clinical? And what percentage of it is spiritual? And, really and, and, yeah, and be honest, because, <laughs> you know, because I, I often find that when people are coming to me for spiritual help, mm-hmm. it they really have a 90% need quite often in taking on new habits. Yeah. They have a 90% need in 
not being enabled um, or not being codependent and things like that more so than they need an angel to drop down out of the sky and change their circumstances. What is it? How much of it is spiritual? How much of it is mental? That is hard to say, but I would probably say like um, 70% clinical and 30% spiritual. Um, Just because I have always been a very spiritual person. So it's not that I don't need help in that area, but I am uh, confident in that area. Where I struggle a lot is my thought processes and um, my anxiety. And, you know, I struggle a lot with suicidal thoughts. Um, You know, like I said, I'm hyper-functioning, even in response to trauma. And so those are things that I have to work through to change. Like, a magical prayer couldn't fix that if I didn't know how to to stop it from happening. You know, you understand? So I'm just like, it could stop maybe an anxious attachment to one person. Right. You know, maybe if that person broke up with me, that person um, left, that could be the end of that relationship where I had that attachment. But there's a part of me that's still participating in that toxic relationship and so I have to fix that and so that's I would put that in more of a clinical thing because there's something in me that's going back to do that so the the prayer helps you maybe recenter and refocus Mm -hmm. but there's still work that needs to be done yeah and so I think that's really the hard part is because I think um if you are very spiritual, then you probably don't want to look at the clinical side. You right. probably don't want to acknowledge that there's a clinical side. But for everyone, there really is. I guess my, I guess the question I'm asking is, the spiritual sometimes lazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would say I, yeah. I think when we embrace it incorrectly, mm-hmm. right? Because I think when Christ dealt with people, there was often, like, the, the rich young ruler said, you know, how shall I inherit the kingdom? He said, sell everything you have and follow me. So there was work. There was work with it. I think sometimes our modern spirituality is um, just pray and wait for it to change. We often say here is often God changes you before he changes the situation. But I want to ask about when we talk about come as you are, and I think about when you first came to this church. And my mm-hmm. question is, <laughs> <laughs> my question is, when did you feel comfortable being as you are, or are you yet totally in your church and worship, or are you still like, yeah, I'm not going to really say what I think right here because it'd scare all of you. Um, yeah, I would say I'm not yeah. 100% comfortable, but yeah. I mean. What keeps you from that place of, you know just saying it or just doing it because oddly enough you're so in touch with your emotions but I don't see you expressing yourself emotionally at church what would it take um I mean I guess I don't know because I feel like I am emotional at church it's probably hard to see because I'm usually doing things Uh or you know because I have my mask and glasses on so (laughs) (laughs) I imagine it's probably hard to see but also it's just like I am comfortable with my emotions in terms of how I'm processing things I'm not super comfortable um 
expressing those things so people can see them. You know, like my process emotionally is me talking to myself or like soothing myself. Mm. It, It it's very rare that I am like letting someone else in, and the times that I have been emotional in front of people or in public were times where I just could not control it at all. Right. If I could have controlled it, I would have. And I I don't know what it will take to get me to a point where I'm okay doing that just because I'm so comfortable doing it for myself because I've been doing that my whole life. And so that's really the thing is, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I think, like, I'm just going through a lot right now. I'm sure that that is going to have to change, but I think – this, the thing is me fighting it, right. too. So I'm not sure, and, and this is kind of an internal debate for me, if all people should come into the church and kind of conform to the culture and the norms of that place, mm-hmm. just out of respect for that place, or I should be able to let everything out in a, in a free-for-all, which is healthier. I don't know. I think... Um, I think it's it's just tough to like to f- try and figure out which is the best one. I think that people should be able to come to church and if they feel emotional or if they feel in distress, right, to let that out, right. But I also see the value in in uh respect and tradition and certain um norms in the church you know that's that is helpful for some people um and so it's kind of like how do you create a space for people to come and just yeah so so is do you find comfort in stability order and rules or i do yeah i find a lot and so this is something I've really noticed about myself, but I really do. I crave security and stability right. because for a long time in my life, I haven't had that. And so I like to know when I come in that we stand or when we sit or what goes where or right. when I'm allowed to like leave or right. what time you guys close the doors. Those things make me feel safe because you know, I've had negative reactions when I didn't know what the rules were yeah. and I don't like that feeling. So I would probably be the type of person that would respond well to that. But Mm -hmm. somebody else might be different. Somebody else may have had too much stability. Somebody else, you know, may have had too many rules. And so that is triggering to them. And so it's, it's hard. So if we could design the best atmosphere, it might be a bit of both. It might be a bit of... Here's our order, and then here's our uh, kind of our free for all time. So yeah. in my meditation, I use the Headspace app, mm-hmm. and what I like about it is, at first, it's like taking account of your body, relax your body, and count the breaths, and then he just he goes, now let all the thoughts in, right? And what's funny to me is often I can't let all the thoughts in because I'm this is such a good place, but the idea of just being able to think and let everything flow in and let it have its way. Maybe that's helpful, but you also make me think about something that a lot of times mental challenges for those that aren't physiological, that aren't chemical or whatever, um, a lot of times they're connected to trauma. Mm -hmm. And trauma is the absence of stability. Trauma was when all hell broke loose in my life 
and it took forever to try to bring the pieces back together or they still haven't come back together and finding a place where there is some order is number one is helpful. It makes Mm. me feel safe. But number two, I get to feel a part of something. And a lot of trauma is connected to, I'm just out here in the world with no anchor without all of the nuclear families that it seems like are all around me. Mm -hmm. And so maybe church in its, in its ordered part, does offer some help. Yeah, I would say that because I feel exactly like what you said. Like I feel a lot of times like I am just out there. I don't have your typical nuclear family. Both of my parents are gone, not super close with my family. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very lost Yeah, and um, very lonely and very scared and very sad. So just being able to come here and know like, where to sit or to know what time the praise team is going to start. Right. It makes me feel like I'm included in something, like I'm a part of something, like I I know what's going on. And, and it also helps me because, you know, I still have anxiety. Right. And so interacting with people is a lot for me. And so sometimes the rules or the norms help me to know when it's okay to talk to people, when it's time to sit down and listen. Mm. All those things are helpful for me. Um, the other thing I, I think, though, because what we have at a church is we supposed to have a common culture. Now, sometimes the pastor just kind of sets the tone for everything. And I can see some parts of me reflected in here as, as being the pastor, but I want everybody to add a part to it. And I think probably where the church struggles and where people can't come as they are, is that how do you incorporate the perspective and the challenges of someone who has some struggles, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was really bad at it, and so if people are listening, they'll have to forgive me, but I, I used to just rail against the idea of there being something called an introvert. I just didn't believe it. I just didn't <laughs> how, I mean, how could you, you know? How could, you, how could you not like people? They're the best thing going, you know, yeah. right? And, uh, <laughs> and and people would just, I'm an introvert, and, and I and, and I just I just call them out. Oh, come on and get on the stage and say something. And I was, yeah, I was bad. I was bad. <laughs> so what I'd love to do is to find a way for the the introvert there to be something that's a touchstone for them that says. I'm recognized here. Maybe we just get some quiet time where nobody says anything. I remember once I went to a convention and at the end, the pastor, uh, at the end of his uh, sermon, he said, turn all the lights out and let's just sit here Mm. in the silence in the presence of God. And even for a quasi extrovert like myself, it was (laughs) so refreshing. Like, yeah, just, yeah. Finally turn off all the noise and the, and the music and all of that. And, and so I just wish we could have something for those who deal with depression and the self-esteem issues and where they all could be seen here, even if it's just rooms or corners or places where people can go. But that's a bit that's a bit of a, a challenge, especially when we think of a church service, which is an, an hour and a half. Right. And, and then here's my question, too, like now that I'm thinking about it, a little off topic, but for introverts, how do you create a gathering for introverts because they don't like gathering? I mean, like, I don't quite, are you an introvert? Do you think you're not? Um, I, yeah, I feel like I am kind of, I feel like mostly an introvert. Like, yeah. I think that's the thing is like, I think 
introverts, like we can be around people and we can have fun and mm-hmm. and interact. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a lot of energy right. from us. Right. And so I think that's really the thing is, you know, it, it's a, it takes a lot out of me. Like and I've also noticed that an introvert will just immediately turn off. Like like Duke Energy turned the power out. Yep. <laughs> like I'm going. All right, bye. And I think <laughs> right. And I think the rest of us, the rest of us go, what's wrong? What did they do? And I think sometimes introverts get confused for being snobby or being, you know, or, mm-hmm. or thinking they're too good. And I would think this might also be with people who are who are dealing with depression. I think, um, oh, she's too good for us now. And it's it's not really about you, right? Have you ever had yeah. to have more people thought you're dealing with yourself and your feelings in that day had something to do with them? Yeah. Yeah. And people are like, what's wrong? Or are you okay? Or I just want, you know, I've had literally had people get mad at me because I didn't say I left and like didn't say bye. Oh yeah. I'm good for that. Um, And it's not, it's really not personal. I also have, I'm a pretty quiet person. Right. And so my whole life, People have been like, you're so quiet. I can't imagine you being mad. I can't imagine you doing this. Or people have done the opposite and tried to encourage me to speak up more. Like, you know you're allowed to have an opinion, right? Like, you know it's okay for you to talk. And it's just like, it's frustrating because I'm neither one of those things. Like, I'm very opinionated. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Very opinionated. I see your Facebook feed. Yep. Uh Um, And... So it, that's not the issue. It's just like I'm not, I'm comfortable being quiet. Right. And I'm not going to talk unless I have something to say. Right. So it's just like, and that's the thing with introverts. Like you really can't force anything. Right. You know, they just have to, you just have to find, you just feel accepted and comfortable. And then once you get there, then you'll, you'll say what you want to say. And so I think it's, you know, you just have to really do the best to be as welcoming and kind as possible. Right. I think that's really where it starts for and both. I, and I think it makes me think of the other thing because it, it's almost like people handle you with kid gloves. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes me think about people who speak different languages because people speak different emotional languages. And what I've noticed with people who speak different languages is folks will talk to them loud and slow as if that's going to help them understand. Mm-hmm. But what they don't know is in that person's native language, they're a doctor or a lawyer or something. Or they're highly intelligent. Now, they're not any less intelligent. Do you think that when people find out that about your challenges and your struggles, mm-hmm. it's almost like they go, oh, poor thing. She's not yeah. as smart. She can't really process this. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get a lot. I can't even describe it. It's like a head tilt and like these big eyes. Like a zoo and animal. Like a soft like. voice like, are you okay? I just, you are just been on my mind. You're just going through so much. Are you okay? And it's like, and I think that's because if you ask me how I'm doing, I will tell you the truth. Right. So if you say, like, are you okay? Nope. Right. I'm not. Yeah. And I think people's response to that is pity. Right. And um, so I think a lot of people pity me. Yeah. And one thing I will say about myself is I've always described myself as overlooked and underestimated. Right. And that is one of the reasons why is because people 
really look at me and they literally pity me. Yeah. I have had people say, I can't imagine. Like, I don't know what I would do if I were you. I don't know how you deal with that. Oh, wow. Like, you know, so it's not like they're talking to me like I'm stupid, Mm -hmm. but they talk to me like I'm less than because of my struggles. And I think the expectation is low. But in reality, I am struggling. But the flip side of that is I'm very in touch with my emotions. I'm very self-aware. And my mental health journey has been one that I've taken alone for a long time. Yeah. So I know how to take care of myself. And I don't need anything from them. But their response to me is like, that poor girl. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. As I sit here and think about it, and you're probably too humble to admit this, but... You're more emotionally intelligent than people. Do you find yourself dumbing, having to be like, okay, because you said you tell the truth, and it makes me think about the um, the Few Good Men movie. You can't handle the truth, right? <laughs> and so do you ever find yourself like, I'm just going to pull back here I'm not because you're not ready. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's That's got to be hard in a way, you know? That's got to yeah. be hard. Like, if I think about all the different interactions in life, like dating, <laughs> like uh, like at work, right? Because you don't need to be handled with kid gloves. They kind of need to expand. Because I'm sure you see at work, like, people are being emotionally insensitive on a topic, mm-hmm. and you've got to decide... Do I speak out and let them know that they're being jerks right now and they're just and they're just wiping, mm-hmm. moving past a whole group of people and they're going to hurt a lot of people? Do you have to do that sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I have to do that. Sometimes I do that with my friends, like just watching TV shows and they'll be like, oh gosh. we watch reality TV and they'll be like, I don't understand why she just why she doesn't do that. Like yeah. she's too she's too old or she's too this. Like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense for her to act like that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> Oh, man. You know, like, you're coming from a place where you have self-worth yeah. and you have security and you're comfortable. So yeah. you have boundaries nice. and she doesn't have that quite yeah. yet. And it's hard for people to. And I, I think really that's where the pity comes from. I think the pity is just like their way of trying to express to me like they understand that I'm hurting. Yeah. And. It's hard for people to imagine some of the things that I've dealt with. Right. And so I think that's where it comes from. And it's hard for people to imagine being that low. Right. You know what we're going to have to do? Because we're going to have to watch like a TV show because I'm the worst at saying, why don't they just do that? I mean, I will let some housewives (laughs) have it. And we're going to have to watch a show, and I'm going to give you, like, a, a green paddle and red paddle. And every time I'm being insistent, if you just hold up the red paddle, like, you know, but you're going to keep it up the whole time because I'm just like, why would anybody do that? Why can't somebody do that? But, um, yeah, I could definitely see that. I think we do, uh, we fail to take into account the background, the history, the experience that gets a person to acting that way in that moment. Yeah. 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 And it's hard for that person to make the connections for themselves and to be able to explain that. Right. Um, I used to get so angry at my counselor because she was like, I just really want to um, point out how self-aware you are and mm-hmm. how helpful that is. And I was just like, I've been this, like, this is not, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Like, this is not a good thing. I don't like this. Right. Um, 
but the older I've gotten, the more I've been able to appreciate that about myself because it has helped me in so many of my relationships to be in touch with my emotions, to be able to explain to people what's wrong with me or how I'm feeling or how they made me feel. Um, And I think that paved the way for a lot less conflict. I do think you are, and a lot of people who who are actively working on their uh, emotional challenges, they have built the emotional muscle Mm -hmm. and they're far beyond the rest, the rest of us, but it's some of the best TV shows I like or movies I like is where the hero hates his superpower. And I think to some degree, I forget which one it is, but there's the one mutant and she can't touch people. She takes their power from right. And she hates her superpower, but it's what makes her strong. And I think a lot of times being emotionally advanced, if you will, or have a higher emotional cue, I think it's got to be taxing and exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. To consider the whole room, you know? And that's one thing I I have to do as a pastor. Like I'm trying to consider the whole room. And and, and rather than thinking about the things that went well, I just, at the end of every day, I go, well, I didn't count so-and-so. I didn't speak to passion before she left. And I, and for me, I just go through and beat myself up over all the things that I miss. Is that something that you do sometimes? Like, anyway, I didn't speak to them and I feel mm-hmm. bad about that. And I wonder yeah. if they thought, yeah. I, um, and I don't know if this is healthy or not, but <laughs> <laughs> I have like, I will try and check in with like all of my friends and my family. Yeah. Probably. I would say at least once or twice every two months. Oh, wow. Just to check in, like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And um, that is a lot. Yeah. Um, I, And I feel like, but I feel like it's important. Yeah. And so that's why I do it. But if I forget, then I'm like, oh, man, like, yeah. she could be going through this, this, and this. And I didn't even text her. Or I didn't even say anything. And I think also it's like social media, like a lot of times on social media, like, I feel guilty when I shouldn't because people will be like, man, sometimes it's just you and God and yeah. nobody else. So you can't count on people. And that's it. Does, that has nothing to do with me, right. obviously. Right. But in my little distorted brain, I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, dang it. She posts that because I forgot to text her. Oh, oh, yeah. oh I do that. I do that <laughs> as a pastor. Oh, I do that as a pastor. I'm too. so yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely, uh, um, uh, Brene Brown has a, has a segment in her latest talk where she says, you got to be careful of the story you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's something me and my wife and my son do is we go, I'll ask them, what is the story you're telling yourself? That way I don't get, I'm not going to, I'm not telling you that you're wrong. Um, I just want to know how is this playing out in your mind? Mm-hmm. And then we all kind of tell ourselves, uh, tell the story that we're telling ourselves. And sometimes like I'll, I'll say with him, like I'm telling myself I'm not a good father uh, because you don't have your license yet. And he'll go, no, I'm just not pressed about getting my license. And it really helps. But heaven forbid I walk around every day, all day thinking I'm not a good yeah. father. But that's a story that I just keep telling myself. And so I think we just have to be careful about that. And it's great when we can tell our stories, but also know that our stories might not be totally true. They're yeah. biased and coming from one side. So we're at the we're at the segment of our show um, where we talk about how our heart is. 
And this can be anything. You, it can be that you saw a TV show and said, you know, my heart is good because that show made me laugh. It could be uh, my heart is good because I see something in the world. Or it could be my heart's not feeling so good because I saw this. Somebody do this to other people or people not being good to themselves. So you want me to go first? You want to go first? You can go first. I go. <laughs> As I know, I just kind of dropped it on you. It's an introvert. Uh, okay. <laughs> so for me, uh, how to answer the question, how's my heart? Um, my heart is a little bit troubled. I try to stay away from things online, especially like Twitter, but Twitter is so mean Mm -hmm. and my heart hurts because people will just say anything because they can't look into other folks eyes and feel their energy. And I'm finding a lot that, Someone can say something that seems totally innocuous, you know, just an opinion. And people will call them all kinds of names, will curse at them. And a lot of people don't put a lot of stock into that. But when I see people do that and will put it in writing to exist forever, it makes me think that's really true in them somewhere. You know, like inside, they can feel that kind of anger and vitriol towards someone they never met. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my heart hurts for that. But then I also think about it like if they didn't know that that person didn't like the Dallas Cowboys and they saw him on the side of the road, they probably would help him. Or would they? Is this. This stuff, this anger, this angst that people have. Is it real? So my heart is kind of troubled by that. So how's your heart? I would say my heart is maybe a little bit tired, just a little overwhelmed, obviously by some personal stuff in my life. But also, I think there's just so much pain. Yeah. And I just have been seeing a lot of people in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I think, again, back to you being an emotional Einstein, I think... (laughs) I think you see the I think you see the pain that a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. I think that was the fa- the case with Jesus. I think people never fully see Jesus the man and the boy and account for the fact that he grew up impoverished. He was um you know people say that he was a carpenter but he really wasn't a carpenter. It's called a tecton. That was kind of skilled labor. He was more like a day laborer. Right. His him and his family. So it, it he really he really got to experience people's pain. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he saw people starving. He saw people oppressed. We talk about him healing lepers. But for 30 years before his ministry started, he saw people walk around lepers and call them things. And he saw women being stoned because they were caught being abused. And he I just think Christ he saw it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the same kind of emotional intelligence to connect, but he had the beautiful ability to know when someone had given up. He knew when to say, pick up your bed and walk, but he also knew when to comfort somebody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a savior who experienced everything that we experienced and wants us to have the joy in exchange for the pain he received so that we can help one another. Christ said, 
Come unto me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. That three-letter word, all, is such a powerful declaration of Christ's love. He receives everyone regardless of their condition, even if they never change. So that's my prayer for this episode. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who accepts us fully, no matter what our issues and shortcomings are. We thank you that you have given us a place in you that we can be vulnerable and yet be loved. God, if there's someone under the sound of my voice who struggles with being accepted because of their mental struggles, please wrap your loving arms around them and remind them that they are your beloved and you are well pleased with them. Today's podcast has been produced by Jermaine Nichols and Passion Bankhead. Audio editing by Shamari Showtime Sackell. No Worries is a production of Awaken Media. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. We do our best to be a blessing to you, but with your prayers and support, we will endeavor to do better next time. Remain blessed.